The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Dr. Tom Pritchard. I am your co-host, J.P. John Paz from the two-man power trip of wrestling. And with me is the star of the show, the former WWE World Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, and one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling, the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. And also joining us is an absolute WWE legend, a former WWE World Champion and World Heavyweight Champion. You may know him as the mayor. He is our special guest, Glenn Kane Jacobs. Guys, welcome into the show. How are you doing? Doing great. And as always, it is a beautiful night here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Snow covered. We had a white Christmas in, in beautiful southeast or uh, east Tennessee anyway. And uh, it's, it's, it's a great night. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And of course, the guys that own JPWA, the Jacobs Pritchard Wrestling Academy, down there in the beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee. So kind of just to, to start off, Glenn, you know, this is Dr. Tom's show, but where did you first meet Dr. Tom? Uh, gosh, I guess it was in, uh, when I was in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. By that time, uh, Tom uh, was already in WWE uh, with Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey and uh, Jim Cornette as the Heavenly Bodies. Uh, but I think they were popping in every now and then and still doing shots for Cornette here in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Um, and I think that's right, isn't it, Tom? It was about that time. Yeah, yeah, it was about that time. We were coming in and out, and uh, you were teaming with Al still, but I think you were also making shots up to WWF at that time. Yes, yeah, that would have been right. That was 1995, 25 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Dr. Tom, what did you think of Glenn when you first saw him? I mean, you're, you know, you're a veteran at this point. He's, he's pretty young to the business. What did you think about him? Well, yeah, but you had you – guys everywhere in wwe and you knew he just fit the mold so it was just a matter of time of him getting up there and uh my gosh he looked the part was the part wasn't playing a part so i think everybody when they saw glenn myself included uh said he won't be around here very long meaning smoky mountain wrestling so once i think the people in charge and the powers that be in wwe or wwe let's just say WWE, uh, took a look at him. They knew uh, they had a place for him on the roster. So it was just a matter of time. I think everybody who saw him felt that way. Glenn, you were pretty young in Smoky Mountain. What did you think of Dr. Tom? Did you say, hey, you know, I love the heavenly bodies, or you weren't as familiar with him? <laughs> yeah. I loved everything. Right. <laughs> no, because I loved everything about Smoky Mountain wrestling. Like, 
you have to understand uh, that was where uh, the stars were. Okay, you know, I, I was uh, plotting away in independence in the Midwest and uh, looking down some Smoky Mountain Wrestling. They had you know, people like Tracy Smothers and the Rock and Roll Express and Tony Anthony, um, Bullet Bob Armstrong, Brad Armstrong, uh, and uh, the Heavenly Bodies. And it was just like, man, you know, that is uh, a talent-laden promotion. So I was just thrilled to get the opportunity. I'd been in Puerto Rico for nine months previous to coming to um, Knoxville. So it was, it was definitely, it was nice to get back in, into the continental U.S. Um, and then also, I mean, it was just, you know, it's like one of the last of the old territories. And you're based in Knoxville, actually. I lived in Morristown, which is about half an hour outside of Knoxville. Uh, but you made all your shots from there, working every night, which was uh, great. Uh, and learning from again from people especially like i said tom wasn't around that much uh, but learning from people like ricky morton and robert gibson and uh tracy smothers and, and and tony anthony and it was just amazing uh and i mean it was just I said to to be there at that time with the talent that uh, Cornette had been able to assemble in smoke Mountain wrestling was really was really um yeah, i was very fortunate to be able to take part in all that Dr. Tom, you said, you know, he fit the mold, he fit right in. What did you think about him as a worker? Well, you, you don't have to answer. No, no, no. About that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you can, you can see uh, anybody when they start out uh, where they're at as far as green. We all, we're all green. It's not a crime to be green. It's just a matter of uh, how, they, how you progress along the way. Same thing when, when I saw Steve Austin for the first time. Nobody could ever – tell he was going to be as big as he ever got but my gosh you knew he had something and i think the same thing with glenn you knew he had something you knew there was uh that potential there and and it was like a big lump of clay just waiting to be molded and anybody who goes to wwe uh, especially when they have plans for you or, or expect to have plans for you they're going to put you on the path uh that best suits you and it's up to you to follow that path and listen to the direction and orchestration that they want you to follow when you're there. And if you're coachable, it's the same thing in any sport or any endeavor. If you're coachable, you listen and uh, uh, be creative along the way, you'll be fine. And I saw that uh, in, in Glenn early on as Unibom and then coming up there as uh, uh, getting a shot with WWE. So, uh, yeah, it, it's some guys get it and some guys don't. But they, we always say you can't teach 6'8". You know, and, and if you can learn uh, and listen and you can be coached, then, then you're on your way. You know, one of the, I think, the hardest things about uh, nowadays and the change that the business is going through is uh, back in the day, of course, uh, before you had the Internet and all this information and all the behind-the-scenes look we get right now, when you had the territories and people could go different places and, and learn and train and get better because really the way you get polished in professional wrestling is in front of the crowd. You can learn all the moves and you can do all that stuff, but don't learn the art form until you actually get in front of people and experience the, the theater and the art and get any emotion out of folks that you want to. And it, it's really difficult now because, of course, I mean, people are immediately, if they're out there, their stuff goes all over the Internet, right? And uh, in, in my case, I came up kind of on the last of that, um, you know, but still, uh, the great thing about 
think before then was when you get, when you went different places, you had a fresh start. Whereas nowadays, you know, I mean, everybody knows everything about everybody. And, um, you know, just again, from kind of that performance aspect of it, um, that's something that, you know, I, I think that when I look back, I wish I could, would have been able to be, uh, you know, in a period where, you know, by the, by the time I got my big shot in WWE, um, I hadn't been there for a while, you know, um, if that makes any sense, that, that had been kind of a fresh slate. And they were able to do that to some extent. Um, but I feel bad for guys now because just like Tom said, you know, that you, people get to see that lump of clay when it's still a lump of clay instead of seeing the finished product. And I think that makes it harder nowadays than it was um, back when I first started. Yeah, you think about like a guy like Braun Strowman, it's got like that, like really wasn't really trained that much. And he kind of just was thrown out there maybe too soon. And he wasn't really in NXT that long. Right. So it's a lot different now than it was then for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, also the audience now, of course, um, it's very much of uh, instant gratification what you've done for me lately. So you look at a guy like Braun or some other people that come up too quickly and um, they, and Braun was able to overcome that. You know, but they may never get the chance uh, that they would have if they were more polished when they got thrust in the position. As far as you guys and thinking back, I can only find one match that you guys had against each other in Smoky Mountain. Is that it? It was, and it was a four-way elimination: Heavenly Bodies, the Thugs, Unibomb, and Al Snow, and then the Headbangers. Is that it? One match? Ah, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Well, we go through this on occasion. Uh, Glenn, uh, John will throw something at me that I really don't recall. <laughs> uh, but, 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 um, yeah, it would have to be just one match because I would probably remember others. Yeah. Uh, you I know, remember being on, on the same team as you in like eight man tags, whether it was, uh, like, uh, or six man tags with, when I was, uh, with you and Candido, I believe. But it I could have been. Us being yeah, I don't either. I, I really, I really don't. It could have been a four way or four way tag thing, but I really don't. Uh, I don't. So, so if I would sit here and tell you how great it was, I'd be totally making making it up all the way. So <laughs> yeah. What did you think about the team of Al Snow and Unibomb, Dr. Tom? Well, uh, once again, knowing Al, and he at that time was wrestling's best-kept secret, um, just knowing Al, knowing the kind of person he was and the kind of worker he was, he, he, had a, he had a great camp up around Michigan, too, when he first started. And he was a trainer of guys, including Dan Severin. So I knew that uh, Al was that kind of veteran and he Al knew his position too. Al knew that uh, if he could embark or impart or embark impart any knowledge uh, that Glenn could pick up, be useful, then that was his job. And and I, I knew that uh, it was up to the guy that Al is next to to pick it up and take it for what it's worth. So as a team, um, I, I thought they did very well. Uh, once again, it was the the image and the impression you have Al, who's a, is a hell of a worker and a hell of a heel, uh, and can do anything in the ring and get away with it, and then have this big guy behind him backing him up, and, and it was a perfect combination. So it was again because Smoky Mountain was one of the last places, the last territory places to go to. That's really what it was, and you had 
older guys or guys who had been around for a little bit. And Al wasn't quite that old, but Al had been around for a little bit. He was the best-kept secret in wrestling at that time. And Jimmy knew about him, and uh, he knew if he put him with Glenn, uh, Al would would also help Glenn along the way. And once again, it's up to Glenn to take it or leave it. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he took a lot of the advice and listened to a lot of the advice and a lot of the stories and a lot of the anecdotes, if you will, uh, that Al gave out. And that's really what it's about. And then go out and uh, do it and experiment on the road with it. And um, I thought they were a great team, actually. Glenn, what do you think about team with Al at that point? I mean, he's young, but like Dr. Tom said, he's kind of wrestling's best-kept secret at that point. Yeah, he really was. Yeah, that helped me out tremendously, uh, just being around uh, not only Al, but also people that had a lot of experience. And I, I cannot overstate uh, how amazing it was for me at that point to be able, you know, we had a long rock and roll express, and be able to work with Robert almost every night of the week it was amazing. Um, you know, you have to remember, too, you know, I, I was um, at the peak of his his career or getting close to it. We'll go on and I have gone to WWE as well as other places. Smoky Mountain was kind of his big break as far as Tom said, that's mostly from doing independence and then uh, comes down to Smoky Mountain Wrestling and then from there you know, goes to, to WWE and um, then on to uh, TNA and other places. Um, but I, I did, I learned a lot and just being around people like that, you learn a lot uh, and as Tom said too, with with Al being a trainer as well, um, and he was able to to help me with uh, just not only not so much you know, moves and that sort of stuff, but psychology and in some cases really how the business works. Uh, so that was also those those intangibles that might have been more important than anything else. Um, and we had a good time together too. You know, once I got uh, comfortable <laughs> being around Al, um, and uh, it, it, from that aspect, it was an enjoyable as well as a learning experience for me. And you're talking about you know getting your big break. When you do get your big break and you head up to the uh, WWF, obviously Dr. Tom has been there, but you get your big break, you head up there, but it's not quite what you want. Is that a determinant at all, like kind of getting the big break and then, oh, great, I have to play the evil dentist. I, I just can't come. <laughs> yeah, it was originally, uh, initially. i never forget going into Vince's. It's actually going to J.J. Dillon's office, and uh, uh, Vince comes in, and we're talking, and he lays out the uh, Isaac Yankum thing for me, and I just literally was deflated not trying to show how deflated I was. But I'm there trying to figure out, oh, gosh, how am I going to make this thing work? And realizing that um, just I didn't like it from the beginning and uh, I wasn't going to be able to make it work. And it probably isn't good when you make that decision as soon as something is presented to you. So a lot of the uh, failure of that character is, is really due to me and just the fact that um, I just couldn't get into it. Um, but nevertheless, as things progressed, uh, and I did – not have the best of attitudes at times. Uh, and then uh, I came, remember one day Mark Calloway, the undertaker, taking me aside and uh, telling me that I better basically get myself in gear uh, because if I didn't, I wasn't going to have a job there very long. And uh, he said, he liked me, Vince likes me, all that stuff. 
but I had to prove that I belonged. And at that time, I decided really that, yeah, I mean, I didn't necessarily have what I wanted, but if I kept moping around, I was never going to get what I wanted. So I had to do the best with what I had, and uh, that's what I tried to do. So even though it initially was not uh, my dream character by any stretch of the imagination, it allowed me to get my foot into the door and, uh, you know, give myself another chance. And it's funny because in life, a lot of times if you just stay around long enough and keep on getting opportunities, finally a good one comes along and you're able to do something with it. That's what happened in my case. Dr. Tom, you are no stranger to being handed a bad gimmick with Zip and the body done. So you know that all too well as well. Well, yeah, I just uh, I was at a little different point in my career. I was at a little different point in my life too, and and it just. Uh, but I think the thing that happened with me is sticking around long enough for finding the opportunity to train people came along for me. So Glenn's exactly right. If you stick around long enough, you'll you'll get. Uh, something at least a little more palatable, I think. And we've all, and I've said this before, everything's a test. And in this business, uh, hell, life's a test. It's all, it's not about how uh, your opportunities, uh, it's how you react to your opportunities, what I'm trying to say. And it's, it's, it's all about having the right attitude and, and believing you can, believing something else is better and, and on the way. And, uh, that that's that's true in this business and it is true in life. So yeah, I, I wasn't real happy with uh, a lot of things in, in my run up there. But at the same time, in the end, I got an opportunity and it was up to me to make it work. And I I did what I did. Can't take anything back. Uh, and I got a I got a great opportunity to to find something new that I really come to, came to enjoy, and that's training and, and coaching. And, and, and this is like no other business in the world, especially when you get somebody uh, who, who has that potential and you can draw it out of them or you can help them along the way or, or just say one thing to them and, and get them inspired to, to create. That's, that was the uh, opportunity I was looking for, and, and it just opened other doors down the line. You know, it's, if I could interject, it's funny how, uh, just like everything else, is how the wrestling business works. And when we talk about these bad characters, we have to remember where WWE was at that point. I mean, it was very gimmick-driven and really over-the-top and cartoonish characters. Uh, and then Tom and I kind of got the, the, the end part of that. Beginning to hit people like T.J. Hopper, Tony Anthony and T.J. Hopper, and, uh, the goon and uh, you know, these other just a Duke the Drumster Droz and over the top characters. And then within like two years, everything had swung completely the other way. Uh, and it had gone from a very PG product to a uh, very cutting edge with Stone Cold Steve Boston uh, ushering in the era of the anti hero. So it just, it's just amazing to watch kind of the ebbs and flows of the wrestling business and how much it changed over time. And then some. At some points, over a very short period of time, and just I think Tom and I were caught in that last bit of the transition from the uh, the over the top, really cartoonish stuff into the much more reality based, cutting edge stuff. And you both played such a pivotal role. If you think about the attitude era, Doctor Tom, that's when you start taking over the training 
Glenn, you become Kane, one of the greatest gimmicks of all time. The pairing with The Undertaker was one of the greatest feuds of all time, if not the greatest feud of all time. It's just one of those things. You both played such a, a big role in that Attitude Era. Well, I was extremely fortunate to be, you know, to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, and it really was part of history, right? I mean, I, I think back around that era. And one of the memories that always stands out to me is uh, – we sold out, I forget how many straight nights. I mean, everywhere we went, it was insane. And Paul Bear and I were pulling in to the, uh, the arena in Greensboro, North Carolina, the Coliseum, which is a very historic course, had the first arcade there and all this, all this stuff, man, I'll never forget going out. I mean, the, everything's packed and just going out that night. And this is just a house show. This is like Thursday night in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's a 15,000 seat arena or whatever it is. And you can look out. Everything is packed, and there's people standing in the vomitories. It was literally standing room only, and it was like that everywhere. Uh, and just, it was just an amazing period uh, to be part of. And you know, I always say that we weren't just at the top of the wrestling business. Wrestling was at the top of the entertainment industry. I mean, it was the hottest thing going. Uh, and I was just really. Again, just really fortunate uh, to to be there at the right time uh, among all the all the different stars and just uh, an incredible time in the wrestling industry. Really, I think in the entertainment business. And Dr. Tom, you were right there, you know, being the trainer, training Vince, training Shane, training The Rock, training Kurt Angle. Did you see, you know, this this huge boom coming, or were you just kind of shocked by how crazy it got, how big it got so quickly? Well. I've been a wrestling fan my whole life, and I've seen wrestling uh, in Texas when it was really on fire, and I've seen when it was okay, and then I've seen it when it was just uh, at the bottom. So I was so fortunate again, I'll, I'll say that too, to be a part of the company and to be able to travel and go on the road and do voiceovers and, and be an intricate part uh, of the company, go to the Titan Towers living in Stanford. So during that time period, it was exciting just to be there seeing how things were going and watching these guys, uh, again, like The Undertaker and Kane and Austin and Rock and Hunter and Sean and, and Brett and, and Mankind and all these uh, authentic characters um, who weren't necessarily going out there being hokey, uh, but they were larger than life and they didn't break they didn't wink and a nod at you. They went out and they performed where people were actually excited, invested, uh, came out in droves, and the the energy in the buildings would, would make the hair on, on your arms and the back of your neck stand up. It was just so uh, exciting during that period of time. I remember in, in Madison Square Garden, WrestleMania 20, uh, when, when it was Kane versus Undertaker, and, and this is after Taker's coming back, and I went out into the arena just to watch Taker's entrance. It, it was incredible, the sound, uh, but that was like that everywhere uh, that they went, everywhere WWE went back at that time. It was. It was like that because it, the energy was going. The, the vibe was right on track with what everybody was feeling. And the, the guys gave the fans a reason to get into it because there was real competitiveness, maybe not competition necessarily, but there was competitiveness to go out and have the best match on the card. And you can see it from, from the first match all the way up to the main event because I used to watch him all the time. And, and just to get that 
that rhythm and see what they were they were falling into. And nobody was falling into phoning it in. Everybody went out and worked hard every night. And you could see it, you could feel it, and so could everybody who came out and watched it. Glenn, what did you think of the retirement? I know you were a part of it, but speaking about The Undertaker and, and the le- legendary Great Feud and everything, what did you think about the retirement of Mark oh, and The Undertaker? It's bittersweet because uh, I'm happy for Mark and the fact that not many folks get to retire on their own terms and uh, leave the business the way they want to. Uh, so I'm very happy about that. I think he's in a good place. Uh, that's for a personal level, that's great. But as a fan, it kind of stinks because I mean, it's the Undertaker, right? Uh, and he's one of my favorites. Not only just because of our personal history, but also just as a fan, uh, I think easily the greatest wrestling character ever. Uh, and also the guy, man, from from when he debuted uh, all the way through. He might not have always been the number one guy, but he was always he was always number one A if he wasn't, uh, and just carried the company through all this stuff, the cycles in, in wrestling. And you know, when you look back, and he came in, and things were came at the end of Hulkamania, and then things went really down uh, in, in the early nineties. But he was there, and then when it comes back up, he's there. And, been there ever since. Uh, so it was just said it was just bittersweet. And then also, of course, uh, with the pandemic, and I think WWE has actually done the best out of the spectator sports of trying to have uh, the feel of a live audience. I mean, they really have done a good job with the Thunderdome concept. Uh, but nevertheless, I mean, that was uh, certainly we would have liked to have had 20,000 people there as opposed to 4,000 people watching on monitors. Uh, Nevertheless, I mean, the, the whole thing, of course, was done very well. Uh, so in the end, it's just like saying, this is just bittersweet for me. Now, were you supposed to be in character, in gimmick, or was that a rib at all? Cause, no, no, know, no, I was supposed to have been. Cause I, oh, okay. Yeah, here's the thing. I mean, you know, Kane is Kane, and he's uh, a different incarnation and all that. Uh, you know, that was, uh, that, that was the reason for that, because... Uh, Kane and Undertaker, they're not. And I think, you know, you, you pull back the veil so much that sometimes we forget that. Uh, you know, but, but that's what kind of separates them, I think, for a lot of the other, um, lot of the other um, performers is the fact that they're, they're truly characters. Uh, and I know people speculated, but that had been the plan all along. So uh, it's one of those things I think sometimes we uh, people get uh, to speculating and outthink themselves a little, <laughs> a little too much into it. But but I think too on that note, uh, once you put a mask on, or once you once you get into that uh, uh, your your trunks or, or your jacket or whatever you're going to wear, if it's a specific character or persona, whatever it may be, uh, it's not that hard to transform and it's not that hard to switch, you know, um, especially when you have those iconic characters. There, are, I, I don't know that you can name any other. Uh, iconic characters other than, let me just say, I'm going I'm to go out on a limb here, but Bruno San Martino and Hulk Hogan, you have The Undertaker and Kane. Um, I don't know if there's anybody as iconic, maybe Austin, maybe Rock, but though, it's in that level. It's at that level, and I, I agree 100% when you go out and uh, when you have to become 
Cain, it's the same way as, as Austin when he's sitting at the ranch, you know, he may not be uh, uh, romping and stomping, but when it comes time to, for the glass to break and he's at, a, at an arena and he's in the mood and, and, you, and it just something comes over you, and I, I believe that's that's why uh, the characters have lasted so long, or these, these two icons have lasted so long because they are authentic and they have become one and the same. See, the rib would have been if I'd have gone to Orlando and where all my stuff and the mayor said, oh, you're just going to go out like yeah. that. I'd have been like, wait a second now. I'm not doing that for Undertaker's retirement. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't rib and I don't want to be ribbed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn, what was it like being there for that? Cause I knew you said it's bittersweet, but what did you think about the, the cool video they played, him coming out? Paul Bearer being on the hologram. What did you kind of oh, yeah. the way they executed it? Yeah, it, it was excellent. Uh, it really was. And I think it was as good a segment as could have been done. Um, and, yeah, and WWE always does, um, does stuff like that first class. Uh, so, and, you know, again, just looking back over his entire career, and then uh, they had the um, – the video and then the Paul Bear deal, I thought it was very well done. And, uh, you know, I also, even backstage among a, a bunch of tough wrestling guys, there weren't many dry eyes. And, Dr. Tom, I know you liked that, that tribute as well. We were, because we had been talking about how excellent they do the production, and especially for Undertaker. I mean, it's kind of hard not, you know, to screw it up because he has such a great career, but of course they knock it out of the park. Yeah, I, I would expect nothing less uh, from those guys. Once you get, you have a chance to see the studio uh, in Stanford, and then when they go on the road, um, I mean, the the work ethic is uh, like it's on par with any studio, movie studio, production studio uh, in, in the country, in the world, and and everybody understands that it's it's about quality and it's about making things special and and making people smile, making you feel something, making that emotional tie, that emotional contact, and they they I don't believe WWE uh, can be can be beat, they might be able to be matched, but I don't think anybody can beat them when it comes to making that emotional contact. Now, they don't always hit it out of the park every time, but more times than not, they're cognizant of the fact that this is what they do, and it is to get an emotional reaction. It is to make people smile. It is to make people want to tune back in and and get connected with the product. And when you have uh, larger-than-life human beings going out and eliciting that effect, getting that emotion, and getting that reaction. Again, back in the Attitude Era, when when the show was hot, the people were hot, and you could feel it. It was deafening. And it was great. It, 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 and when I was watching standing backstage, I can only imagine how the guys in the ring were feeling because that's, there's nothing better. And then getting into a, an arena where the people are into your match and you, couldn't, you could do no wrong because everything you did uh, and everything they did meant something. And to the people, to the fans who, who really enjoyed WWE at that time, I, I don't think anyone left the arena uh, disappointed. Glenn, were you shocked at all? Just not really uh, of your career, but if you just think about it, Undertaker's career at WWE spans 30 years. 
such longevity, such a legendary career, one of the greatest careers ever. But then yours, who are also attached to his career, is going, you know, 25 years strong. Isn't that just amazing when you think back, like, wow, what longevity kind of was birthed off of that Undertaker 1990 character? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I never would have imagined that my career would have lasted as long as it did. Uh, I'm sure if you asked Mark, he would have probably said the same thing. Uh, so it's just been amazing. And then Tom will probably tell you this too, but uh, probably the most amazing thing though is how quickly it goes by. I mean, 25 years is a long time. And then when I look back, man, it, it just almost felt like a blink of the eye. Cause everything's moving so quickly all the time. Um, but I had the opportunity to perform with so many just great talents to travel the world, uh, to meet all sorts of, of people from around the world, the fans from all the way around the world. I've, I've learned, uh, it's funny, but from my travels, I've learned that people are pretty much people everywhere you go. And, uh, WWE is actually like this ambassador of goodwill because we can go to uh, places that normally you would think geopolitically we wouldn't get along, but the people in the arena are all there for the same reason, and they're all rabid fans of WWE, uh, so we have this common touch point, and uh, it's just it's just been an amazing experience. But no, uh, I never expected it to last any anywhere nearly as long as it did. When you think about Dr. Tom, and Glenn, this question for you, when you think about Dr. Tom, were you paying attention to him training the guys? Did, were you, like, cognizant of, of what was going on, like, behind the scenes as far as the guys coming up, like the Rocks of the World and the Kurt Angles? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we all knew that uh, We all knew what Tom was doing. Uh, and I went down a couple times and actually visited uh, the training center when it was in different locations and uh, see it. And, and of course, um, it's evolved over the years. Uh, back when Tom first started there, of course, he had the, the warehouse in Stanford, and then things moved down to uh, uh, to Georgia outside of Atlanta. And I remember the first time that I went, and it was basically a ring in a warehouse and had, like, garbage bags covering the windows out front and all this stuff. And uh, then, you know, it, it would grow and, and get bigger from there. Uh, but, yeah, I think one of uh, – we were extremely fortunate to have someone like Tom uh, who could work with uh, people. I mean, Angle and Rock and Mark Henry and all these different people uh, so that by the time they got to the main roster, uh, they at least had a very good foundation from which to work from. And, and then, too, I think that uh, especially during their early years, all those guys would also – stay in touch with Tom, and I'm sure that he gave a pep talk here or there, even when they got up to the main roster. Yeah, well, that was I, that was my job, too, going on the road with those guys and working, uh, gosh, a couple of weeks, and I, I was uh, talking not too long ago about Ockham Albrecht giving me a concussion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the first night of the, of the tour, I had to go two weeks with him, and it was like, oh, my God. So, yeah, it, it, it was uh, it was definitely uh, an experience for me, too. But I think you came down to the studio one time, and uh, right as you are working as Kane, and, and I took the tombstone, I think, maybe seven times or eight times in a row, and just trying to get the, the, the correlation between the mat and where I needed to land, I think it took about eight times. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I took it a few times. Glenn, when you 
see, you know, like Dr. Tom is training these guys. Are, are you keeping that in mind for the future? Are you thinking about like, you know, J, obviously JPWA, are you thinking about that? Like, you know, in, you know, in the future, you know, maybe it, it, Dr. Tom is the guy, if I'm going to do something you know, outside of wrestling to do some training once my career is up, is, is that something that's just kind of stored in the memory bank? Like, ah, he's an awesome trainer. He's the guy I want. Well, uh, kind of. Uh, really, what happened was uh, we were both living in, in Knoxville, and um, I, I just called Tom literally one day. I'm like, dude, why aren't you, why aren't you training right now? And uh, he just wasn't. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, so he's like one of the very best at this. Uh, and I think, <laughs> I think that uh, it's a waste if he's not doing that, you know, if he's not training people. Uh, so one thing led to another, and, you know, we decided to, to start this thing. Um, but, I, again, it was uh, just one of those deals where <laughs> we, we live in the same town. Right. And I was just going, man, you know, why isn't Tom doing this? And it's also what he loves to do. Uh, so I thought it was just a good opportunity for um, for all of us. Dr. Tom, what did you think when he kind of called you and made, and made the pitch? Well, I wasn't uh, – uh, I'd done it before, and that's – I've mentioned this before. It's it's one of those things where it's it's got to be the right timing and it's got to be the right thing and it's got to be all in or nothing And uh, because too many people say they want to and um, they they don't know they don't mean it, but they don't mean it. So uh, we wanted to be different than a lot of the schools that just go in and, and play around for, for two or three days. And and as we started talking about it, I thought if we do five days a week, and originally it was going to be Monday and Tuesday with Wednesday off and then come in on a Sunday and do promos. And it, it's a lot to be a professional wrestler. And in 12 weeks, you're not going to learn everything. So I, all these things were rushing through my mind. What am I going to do for 12 weeks with these guys? And then what do we do once they're done with 12 weeks? So there was a lot I had to think about. What, But when I saw and heard that Glenn believed it could be done, then I went around and had to start taking my own advice. If you believe you can do it, you can. If you don't believe, well, that's true too. And I had to think that way. I had to think we can do this, and it's just a matter of doing it, and it's a matter of believing it. And there might be some uh, downtime. There might be some tough times. But it is what I love to do, and I, I still love the business. Uh, it's changed over the years, no doubt, but the basics and fundamentals never go out of style. You're always going to need that. It's still batting uh, batting practice, fielding the ball. You're still blocking and tackling. Um, you're still trying to shoot a, a ball through a hoop. So, I mean, how do you get to that point? And those are all the things that went through my mind. And finally, I said, yeah, why not? So the next step was finding a place to do it and then just doing it. And uh, so it's it's uh, it's been great. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy you suggested it. I'm happy that we uh, are doing it. Glenn, what do you think about the progress of the JPWA so far? I know uh... – Emily Andrulis is, is in WWE, but what do you, or NXT really? But what do you kind of think of the progress of JPWA? I think the most important thing is uh, everybody that works with Tom uh, knows like himself 
for them, okay, that, that he's, whether they're ever going to go on and do anything else, um, that he's given them a great experience and he's invested in them. Uh, and so much of um, the wrestling business, when we're talking about um, you know, who's going to be a big star, I mean, there's intangibles, there's all these different things. So you never can tell. Um, and I just think the most important thing is that um, everybody comes away feeling like, you know, that, that, that Tom works with them and cares about them. Uh, and it's funny, too, because you see the, the relationships that are built and uh, the classes come together as individuals uh, and, and as a group. Um, so that's the most important thing is just no matter what, to feel like the people uh, who go through the program um, have had a good experience. And, you know, sooner or later, you're going to get someone who's going to be the next big star, hopefully. But even if that doesn't happen, uh, it's okay because you just want everyone to, to know that you've done the best you can for them, and, and Tom definitely does that. Talk to Tom, what do you think about progress report of the JPWA? Well, I would agree. We've had some great progress uh, come out of the JPWA. We've had some guys who, who just like everybody else, who uh, won't stop at, at anything. And we've had people who uh, just wanted the experience. Um, so I think we're right where we should be. We're starting our third year next week, and uh, it takes a while to build up. But I think we're doing great, and I think we're going to continue to do great. And uh, I think the way we do that is get the word out from the people who have trained with us. And they, I, I don't solicit anybody to to say anything other than what they feel. If they liked it, they liked it. And if they didn't, I, I, I understand that too because I tell everybody the ropes are what they are and it's it's hard when you fall down sometimes. But but there's other things we do besides just that. And a lot of it's uh, uh, just getting the experience. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with it so far. And Glenn, it seems like Knoxville, Tennessee is both of yours kind of favorite place, but you went there for Smoky Mountain and you never left. You must love Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> Yeah, East Tennessee is a beautiful place. Uh, the people here are uh, wonderful, and uh, this is home, and I actually at this point in my life, I can't imagine living anywhere else. Dr. Tom, I know we always talk about but you love Knoxville, Tennessee more than anybody. You left, you came back, and, and you're loving it. Well, again, you have the mountains, you have uh, Sevierville, Pigeon Forge right down the road, you have Maryville. There's a lot of beautiful things here in Tennessee, and there's a lot of things to do. So uh, when you come in, to Knoxville, if, if you just look around, you, you can't help uh, but feel welcome. And that, that's, that's what I felt the first time I was here. And that's, uh, we came back a few years ago, about eight years ago, uh, because this, this was where we wanted to stay and this is where we wanted to be. And yeah, it's a great place to be. It really is. I had to bring this up because of the unfortunate passing of John Huber, a.k.a. Luke Harper, a.k.a. Brody Lee. Recently, just passed, uh, you know, as, as of, we're taping this as of yesterday, the news came out, very, very shocking. He's only 41 years old. Glenn, I know you wrestled him a ton um, over the last couple of years. What did you kind of think when the unfortunate passing of Luke Harper, a.k.a. Brody Lee, happened? Yeah, I was shocked. Uh, a friend of mine texted me and uh, told me, and I was like, there's no way. Um, and John, was just, he was 
really good guy. He's just a sweetheart, just just a good person. Twenty twenty has been an awful year, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, me and of course Pat Patterson recently passing away, uh, so it's just been. Um, with everything going on, uh, it's been a terrible year, and and this added to it. Like I said, John was a great guy, um, had a wonderful family, and uh, just you know, I don't know what else to say. Seems like a lot of people are saying that he was such like he looked like such a tough guy, but behind the scenes, he seemed like everybody's favorite, like whether uh, AEW or yeah, WWE. Yeah, he was just a sweetheart. Just like I said, just a really decent human being. Well, I, you, yeah, you train him too, right? Yeah, yeah in, in FCW, and I was gonna, I was gonna make the comparison uh, between uh, John and Bobby Eaton. I don't think anybody's ever said a bad word about Bobby Eaton either, and, and it's the same way with uh, uh, John. He, he in FCW, he was uh, the model student, the the guy that you love to talk to and, and coach and be around. Um, so. It's a shame when anything like that happens. And 41 years old, two kids and a wife, uh, Christmas time. I couldn't think of anything that I'd, I, it's a nightmare for for everybody who knew him. Yeah, definitely condolences out to his family. That's just shocking to hear that because he was so young. But you're hearing all these outpouring of just funny stories that he would do and say and you know, his little signature poses and just the things he'd say before he'd be leaving to go to one town to another. He would always say to the guy, goodbye forever. Just seemed like a very lighthearted, very funny guy. He was very family-focused. Yeah, he was. He was one of those people. Was, I don't think I ever saw him in a bad mood. Uh, and, uh, like I said, I always had uh, something, <laughs> something to say that would brighten your spirit to make you laugh. So. Yeah, for sure. And, Dr. Tom, you... Just uh, trained him in FCW. Did you have any other time with him? No, no. I met him in, in Tampa, and uh, that's where he and, and Bray and uh, Eric got together, and that's that's where the Wyatt family first uh, made their run through. So they they were they've been together for a while, and uh, <sighs> I, I, I really don't know what else to say about it except it is tragic and it is sad and uh, we lost a good one and lo- lost a really good guy and it, it's happening. It happens. It is life, but it's happening too often and or it feels like it's happened too often. Maybe it's because it is 2020 and maybe it's just because uh, I'm ready for it to end too and just ready to 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 get back to normal whenever that'll be. But but, yeah, it, it was just too sad. For sure. And, Glenn, you mentioned the passing of Pat Patterson as well. Obviously, it's a completely different it's a scenario, a different situation. But what kind of relationship did you have with Pat? Well, I was very fortunate to know Pat. And, uh, of course, he was influential on uh, my career uh, as a booker, uh, as a mentor, uh, even <laughs> Some in-ring stuff when uh, he and Jerry Briscoe were together, uh, which is always a lot of fun. Um, but, I mean, Pat's literally, he, he really is a legend. And I think that sometimes we use that term a little too loosely. But definitely, in his case, it certainly applies. Uh, and WWE and the world of professional wrestling wouldn't be what it is. And uh, none of us would have had the enjoyment of the years of WWE that we would have if it hadn't been for Pat Patterson. As far as kind of 
Kane, Undertaker, did he, you know, like you always hear stories about him helping matches, whether it's, you know, Hogan and Warrior, uh, Brett and HBK, all these different guys angled like him. Did he help you guys at all? Oh, yeah. And like with the matches? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I mean, he was, he was still there, of course, uh, uh, on a full-time basis uh, when I came in in 1995 uh, as Isaac Hankin. Uh, and then in 1997 uh, with the Kane character, yeah, he was there all through that, uh, whether it was uh, booking, being part of booking, creative team, uh, as a producer of matches. Yeah, he was through all of that stuff. I always just look at that era with Kane and the Undertaker and think like, okay, it's the Attitude Era. There's so much realism, but they're quote unquote supernatural characters. But you almost thought that it was so real, like especially when you throw Paul Bearer in there. There was just something about it, it just worked. It, it clicked, and other people have tried to kind of keep mimic it or copy it, but it was just the perfect timing and the perfect feud, right? I mean, it was weird, like so every everything's so real, but you guys are supernatural, but somehow made it seem so real. <laughs> Yeah, it's very ironic. Uh, Taker and I were just talking about this not too long ago. Uh, but that, that's just the out of the head. I mean, uh, it's almost like Kane and Undertaker occupied this separate universe from the rest of WWE. And at least when, when they were together or opposing one another. So, and it was just wild because, yeah, they, they were uh, the two characters. They had, like, this mythology. And people still bought into it, even though everything was so reality-based. Um, but I think that the characters were done so well and everything about it was done so well that uh, it's it still... And a lot of what we do is just like imagine as long as when people don't see the wires, um, they'll accept it. But of course, if you're going out there where the wires are, well, then the magic trick doesn't work anymore. And I, I think that we were just able... And they're fortunate to be able to, I don't know, take this reality-based product and kind of turn it around to where you have any mythological creature that they're in this reality-based product, but then they kind of, they all kind of work together. Uh, and uh, maybe it shouldn't happen. We got, you know, we're throwing lightning bolts and fireballs, uh, which is ridiculous, but board, but the whole Undertaker deal. I mean, that plus a wrestler too, uh, and I think that a lot of that's just a trip to him and his uh, his ability and, and just making a character, which is an unbelievable character, but executing the character so well that it's a believable character. Well, I, real quick, let me just add to that. Besides just doing light lightning bolts and and fireballs and doing all the magic and and the great looking. Uh, garnish, if you will. When you got in the ring, you were also throwing clotheslines and diving over the top rope and, and laying things in that were, were authentic and made things look the part so people weren't going, oh, my gosh. Once, it, well, it wasn't a letdown once uh, once the bell rang, in other words. You followed through with everything from start to finish, and that's one of the things we stress, uh, especially when watching um, a match between two people getting in the ring. What's What's going to get anybody invested who's watching what's going to make the whole thing work I, I just listened to something the other day where they were talking about mordecai if you remember kevin thorne uh he had a great entrance he had a great look he had a great costume he had great everything and then the bell rang so that was that was the difference you know you have to be able to carry it out you have to be able to follow through so you can't just go out and say hey I'm, i've got a character like 
Kane or like The Undertaker. No, no, it, it can't be that. You have to find that character and you have to follow through with it where people can connect with it and see it and, and realize, oh, this is something to watch. Yeah, and I think, too, with a guy like Undertaker, uh, he was so athletic for someone of his size. And uh, when he first came to WWE in, I guess, 91, and he had a lot of big guys, but none of them moved like that. So, uh, And he did that on purpose. He'd be very methodical, and then all of a sudden it's explosive. But, you know, you've got this guy that's, you know, six foot eight, and he's walking the top rope and doing leapfrogs and all this crazy stuff. Uh which is almost superhuman in and of itself. And then I think the Kane Undertaker story, two brothers, it's about sibling rivalry. And I think that that, no matter what level you put it on, whether it's mythology, whether it's in our own households, I think that we can all relate to that. Uh, so, so much of it was just due to magnificent storytelling that WWE did throughout that entire uh, feud of rivalry that lasted all those many years and quite possibly the greatest WWE debut of all time. I know Undertaker had a great one at Survivor Series, but your debut has is, is got to be up there as one of the greatest debuts of all time as well. <laughs> I'm partial. I think it was. Uh, but it, it, <laughs> yeah. it, wasn't due to, it wasn't due to me, though. Um, it, again, it was the story had been, uh, been in the process of being told for months with Paul Bear talking about Kane and this ginormous buildup. And uh, you have all this stuff with Kane happening and uh, seeds from the planet, and then we're off into Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, which is a huge matchup, uh, never been done before. And they quit talking about Kane for a couple of weeks, and everybody forgot about Kane, and then all of a sudden, bam, there's Kane. Uh, and just everything was done so well, uh, and the execution was uh, was really well, uh, well done. But I think Again, it, it was just because the story was so strong, and the story leading up to the debut. Uh, you know, if, if a masked guy walks out and rips a cell door off, what big deal, right? But when the guy's Kane and he's Undertaker's long lost brother, and no one quite knows what's going on, but they know, oh my gosh, this dude's like big as the Undertaker and all this stuff. And Undertaker actually looks like if he isn't scared, well, then something weird's going on, and then he gets picked up and dropped on his head and beat with his own move. I mean, that never happened. So uh, it, it was it was just extremely well executed on many different levels, I think. Such a memorable – I mean, the match itself is so memorable, but that moment is just crazy memorable. And obviously Vince, that's got to be Kane. He, you know, he says it a few times, but he says, that's got to be Kane. So, I mean, it's one of those things that's just etched in just memory, of, especially me as a fan, just from Vince's voice and then you executing it. Were you nervous at all? Because, I mean, this is a huge spot. Plus, in the middle of the Monday Night War, in the middle of the war with WWE, your character is going to play a huge role. So it's almost like, you don't screw this up. Here you go, yeah, you that gentlemen. That was actually my thought. Just don't screw it up. Because <laughs> especially I'm going out, uh, the, the whole hell in the cell that was designed around, that was designed for Kane, right? No one could get in. No one could get out. But no one could get in. Because uh, you know, the real thought was you know, uh, uh, Sean's people coming down and, and beating Undertaker. That's uh, No one ever thought that you'd have uh, Kane come out and rip the cell door off. Uh, but then those guys have like this 
amazing match, first ever Hell in a Cell match, and the match is unbelievable. Uh, and then here I come, and yeah, my my entire thing was just don't screw this up because this is the best opportunity anyone's ever been given in, in history of professional wrestling. <laughs> And Dr. Tom, you're probably thinking, oh, when I got my, you know, ass handed to me from the Steiner brothers, that was a pretty good WWE debut as well. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> I don't think it's on the same level, but uh, we'll go there, yeah. No, it was, it was great. <laughs> you just think about, like, Undertaker and Kane, and obviously one of the greatest views, but if you look at it, it's just that era, you guys are on fire. You got Austin McMahon, which is coming right around the corner. Then, you know, your feuds, then you got uh, DX and the nation. I mean, you guys are pretty spot on and pretty on fire, but of course, Undertaker and Kane always kind of were there, either at the top of the card, whether you're winning the WWF title from Austin or, you know, tagging with Undertaker. So many memorable, memorable moments for sure. And I'll never forget when you won the world title because I was absolutely shocked that you beat my, my man, Stone Cold Steve Austin that night. Yeah, of course. And, um, everybody was right. And, uh, then the next night to lose it back. Um, uh, but I always said that the next night was actually cooler because I mean, that, that, that was, uh, uh, in Cleveland at whatever it is, rocket mortgage field house, whatever it was, Zilk arena. And man, that was the most electric crowd that I've ever been in front of. I mean, it, it was just amazing. And, um, I feel that that kind of helped uh, propel everything upwards because, um, you know, it, it, it just, um, if I lost to Austin, I mean, if you lost him, he can't, he cares, you know, but uh, to beat Austin, of course, with Undertaker's help, and then the next night, lose it back to Austin, but then you plant seeds for Brothers in Destruction because that was the first time, really, that you could see that Kane and Undertaker might be on the same page. Um, it's just It was just an amazing night. Um, and uh, I'll never forget, uh, you know, just having the world championship, right? And uh, that night and staying at the Red Roof Inn in Pittsburgh and uh, – I got a double room. I put the belt on its own bed and everything and kind of tucked it in. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. But, yeah. There you <laughs> I mean, go. Yeah. But I mean, it, yeah. it was just Austin. I mean, it's just awesome. Um, you know, cause Austin was on a rocket ship going straight to the moon. It's just to be part of all that. That was pretty amazing. Uh, then of course though, that no one remembers that because that was the same night that Mick flew off the cage and then went through the cage. Uh, so to this day, I'm still, pretty hot at Mick Foley because uh, no one remembers that I was, I won my first world championship the same night that, you know, he, he had the helmet cell uh, and, and went off of it twice. Uh, but anyway, it was a pretty amazing night. Um, and like, you know, we've been saying this whole thing, though, the whole attitude here, I mean, it was filled with moments like that. Unbelievable. And I just remember we were at summer camp, football camp, and I remember everyone wanted to turn on. I mean, it's a room of, and there's there's a ton of people. I mean, all the kids in the team and, and, and even other players and stuff too. I mean, they all wanted to see what the heck was going on on Raw. So this shows you how invested you are as a fan. It, the whole room erupted when you end up losing to that, you know, the next night to Steve Austin on Raw, and he wins by title. We were all just going nuts. But it shows you the emotional investment. All these guys together, get the TV, get it on. We want to see this match. We, everyone wanted to see you lose. I mean, it was just it was it was a great moment. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, Dr. Tom, anything you want to kind of close and say to, to Glenn as we head towards the finish, head towards the wind down? Well, I, once again, um, I, I think that uh, JPWA is, is right on track with what we wanted to do and what we want to do. And, uh, you know, with, with everything uh, going on in the world today, we're doing the best we can. And uh, I appreciate Glenn offering and, and uh, being supportive as he has been for, for everybody with JPWA. And uh, I, I think as we go on, as we continue on, we can only see what happens and, and go from there. So uh, three years starting next week. And uh, that'll be January 4th. We still have some pl places available, spots available. If you go to jpwrestlingacademy.com, check it out. Send us an application. Send us an email at jpwrestlingacademy at gmail.com. And uh, I, I think uh, the third year, hopefully 2021, has to be a hell of a lot better than 2020, I think. Has to be. No doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just echoing what Tom said, um, you know, anyone that comes to uh, the JPWA, um, they're going to get trained by the best. There's just no doubt about that. Uh, and I think they're going to have a wonderful experience, and they're also going to make friendships that are going to last a lifetime. Um, so it, I, I, I wish um, I, I went was actually trained by Dean Malenko, uh, which is a wonderful experience in itself, uh, you know, but uh, I wish that more people had the opportunity to, to go to places like JPWA uh, and get trained by someone like uh, Tom Pritchard uh, and just experience. Like I said, it's just, it's, uh, it really is what I see is by the end of uh, the 12 weeks that the uh, students really become family. And uh, I think that's probably as important as any, anything. Um, and I think they'll say the same thing if you ask them that. Also want to mention Pro Wrestling Tees. JPWA has got a store there. And Patreon. They've got a uh, JPWA Patreon set up for everybody out there. So definitely you can check them out. And, of course, like Dr. Tom said, to get in for the new year, jpwrestlingacademy.com is the website. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can follow Dr. Tom at Dr. Tom Pritchard. Glenn, do you have anywhere on social media you'd like the uh, fans to follow you? Actually, I do. It's uh, at uh, Kane WWE uh, is my uh, wrestling Twitter, and then on my own personal is Glenn with two N's, Jacobs TN. All right, this has been awesome, and thank you so much, Glenn. This is actually our one-year anniversary, which I forgot to mention. It, I mean, such a huge monumental episode. You had to bring on one of the all-time greats for myself, for Dr. Tom, and for Glenn Kane Jacobs. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. We'll see you right back here next week for Take You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks.